Welcome to episode 40 of the Going For Broke Outdoors podcast, a podcast by an outdoorsman for other outdoorsmen. I'm your host, Jeremy Gillespie. On today's episode, I welcome Ethan Eskew to the show. Ethan is a West Virginia native who moved to Missouri in 2023, and in 2022, Ethan killed six bucks across multiple states, and in 2023, he killed five more, including a great early season high country mule deer. In this episode, we recap Ethan's 2023 season. We talk about the tactics he uses for tackling new terrain. We talk a lot about mindset and how important it is when the conditions get tough. And there's a lot of great takeaways in this episode. Hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Before we get started, I want to give a shout out to Uncle Lou at Stealth Outdoors for helping to make this podcast possible. Check out Stealth Outdoors at www.stealthoutdoors.com. Seasons are closing across most of the Midwest, and the off-season is a great time to rehab your gear. Head over to Stealth Outdoors to pick up some climbing stick wraps, cam buckle covers, platform cable wraps, or stealth strip rolls for all of your miscellaneous silencing needs. Visit www.stealthoutdoors.com to silence your gear and to place an order today. And now, on to the podcast. All right, today I'm joined by a repeat guest, Ethan Eskew. Ethan was on episode 31 Ethan, how are you doing today? Doing good, Jeremy. Thanks for having me on again. I'm excited uh, for the conversation this evening. Yeah, appreciate you joining and wanted to have you on because you had an amazing 2023 season. So we're going to skip the who you are and how'd you get into hunting stuff. If anybody wants to check that out, they can check out episode 31. But let's get right into the meat and potatoes and started off your year with a really awesome velvet high country mule deer. So talk to me first. Um, what factors do you consider when you're looking at a, a travel hunt like that? How do you pick a state and a unit? What are you thinking about when you're deciding on that? You know, I, I've done quite a few travel hunts, mostly out West. Um, and it really just depends on it, it's various factors, you know, like some of them, it's just the country you want to hunt. Some of them, it's the species you want to hunt. Some of them it's, I have time off in this slot. What can I go hunt? Um, for this one specifically, it was more of what do I want to hunt and where do I want to hunt them? Uh, mule deer has become my favorite species and the high country has become my favorite terrain. And I've this is my third year in a row uh, doing a high country mule deer hunt. And it's the first one I've been successful on. And, uh, you know, I accept that uh, extremely humbly because it's it's very very difficult and uh but once i started doing it i just knew that this was like this was probably going to be my favorite hunt you know it was just high country mule deer there's nothing more exhilarating to me than being up at high elevations on the tops of the mountains chasing big velvet mule deer with my bow i mean that's i know this is super cliche but it just feels like that's something that you know i'm, I'm meant to do um but again up until this year I had never been successful. So what I was looking at was I was looking at the points that I had in different states uh, because, you know, I've been building up some points for, for some years now. So looking at the points that I have, I was looking at my schedule, uh, you know, I was monitoring, you know, the normal stuff, droughts, uh, winter conditions in various states from the past year. And then you just start dialing it in you know, looking at harvest statistics. And the big thing for me, honestly, is looking at country. Um, I have not applied or not hunted a lot of units that have good statistics that when I look at a map, it just doesn't fit my style. 
Um, I think that once you kind of get experience, you can kind of maybe hunt what on paper is a lesser unit, but if it plays to your style of hunting, then you can try to find success far above the average in that given unit. So that was, you know, I was looking at country a lot with this hunt. Um, I shot that mule deer in Colorado. I mean, I shot him over 12,000 feet and, you know, pretty much if you do that, it's pretty much going to be in Colorado. So, um, you know, Colorado is an awesome state for mule deer. I think everybody knows that at this point. And it's an awesome state for the high country. Uh, they have the best high country. Well, you, I mean, you could argue that for certain factors, but as far as like the highest high country, uh, they definitely have the highest high country. And that's what I wanted. You know, I wanted to hunt like really high elevation, really, really push myself, get into some really nasty terrain and just find, you know, a big mature deer. And I wasn't out there looking for a giant um, I just wanted to find a good mature deer in that country. And that's what, that's what I was going for. So that's what led me to picking the unit that I did was just kind of considering my own personal goals for this specific hunt and then reviewing, you know, all the different units that I could draw at my point level and, uh, just continuously narrowing that down until I kind of made my decision to put my application in. Oh, that's awesome. A lot of great tips there. And and I think that's important to consider is what do you want to do, right? Like for me, I tell people this all the time. A lot of the reason I hunt isn't for the animals, it's for the adventure. And it sounds like that's at least part of the reason for you too. So you want to pick a, pick a terrain or a species or both that kind of complements the adventure you're looking for. And, and I think it's important to realize why you hunt and that'll guide a lot of the decisions, I think. Right. hundred percent. Yeah. I've been on hunts before, um, where, you know, I've actually passed opportunities, whether it be an actual animal in range or maybe it's a, a stock on a deer, uh, or an elk or, or, or an antelope. But if it, you have actually passed opportunities that the, the setting just didn't feel right, you know, and that's, it's kind of counterintuitive because I do also like, I'm not, I'm one of those guys that like when I go on a hunt, I am go, I'm going out there to kill him. You know, um, the, the adventure and is a massive part of it. But once I'm out there actually hunting 99% of the time, it's, you know, I've put myself in that area for the experience and for the adventure. But once I'm there, it's, it's all about getting that kill. Uh, I kind of just go into kill mode and try to be as much of a predator as possible but sometimes, you know, you'll catch something like sometimes you're driving down the road and you might spot, you might spot a, you know, a pretty good buck. <laughs> He's bedded like 40 yards off the road, you know, it's like, well, is that really the experience that I want? You know what I mean? Like, you know, so I, you know, I've had situations like that before that I've kind of let go, but um, yeah, man, like on that, on this mule deer hunt specifically, like that's just been the dream of mine is to kill uh, you know, a really good mature deer high on top of the mountain early season with my bow. And, uh, you know, went into this hunt with that as my goal and, uh, went in solo, you know, I hunt solo most of the time and, uh, was able to get it done. I found the buck. Um, 
I'll kind of give this the quick summary synopsis. And if you want to pick any questions out of it, go ahead. Sure. But I found the I found the buck. Let me think. Uh, the day before season, <clears throat> relocating him uh, the, on the opener. There was other there was other hunters hunting him. Uh, the conditions were bad though. They bedded in a bad spot. The weather was bad. Luckily, all of us were smart enough to not move in on the buck. And we had actually ended up talking. And it was the only really, really big deer in the area. Um, and we ended up talking, myself and the other hunters, which was, this was just incredible. You know, usually you're out there, you feel like you're combat bow hunting with people if you run into them. And not always, but if there's a target animal in the area, you know, you typically feel like it's, it's you got to get there before them. And, and I don't like playing that game because it, I like to play my game at my pace with the animal and I don't like to feel rushed by other people. So, and they kind of felt the same way. So it was really cool to kind of talk and we kind of worked up this basically deal of like trading days. And this, this is a really good deer, you know? So we were kind of let, like, let's almost help each other uh, get this buck because he was in a really, really stockable base. And that was, that was the perfect part was, really big deer in a super stockable basin. And we kind of collectively said, if we play this really smart, one of us is going to kill this deer, you know, or at least get a shot. So the next day, uh, the second day of season, I was up as like, you know, I was going to be the first guy to get the stock that day. And just as luck would have it, you know, relocated him. He had crossed into a different basin at night uh, to feed, but, uh, at first light, I, I caught him and his running mates, um, resting the ridge line and dropping back into the basin that he had been calling home. This buck was a super homebody buck, ended up bedding him, made a big circle around the basin, well above 12,000 feet, took off the boots, dropped in on him, waited him out in the sun, um, for maybe, I think it was a couple hours. And then finally, uh, they got up and started milling around and, uh, he fed out behind me and I was able to get an arrow in him. And, um, it was just the most, you know, well, honestly, I hit him back on my, on that, on that shot. Um, so it was one of those like mixed emotions, uh, moments, you know, where it was like, this is what I've wanted for years now, like a really, really big deer up high elevation. The view was you know, it was like, looked like something that you would see on a postcard. And I just shot the biggest buck of my life with this view right now. You know, it's like the most incredible moment ever, but I hit him a little back. And, and honestly, um, what had happened was I felt like I made a really good shot, honestly, but I had gotten hit like right as my shot broke off, I got hit with a, a gust of wind that hit my bow. And as soon as it, it's like, it's just one of those things. And I, I shoot a lot. And as soon as my arrow broke, I was like, that's going right. Like, I just knew it. And I hit him, you know, to the right back. Uh, ended up uh, hitting him. He was slightly quartering away. Ended up hitting him in the liver on the exit. So it actually wasn't as bad as I thought it was. Uh, recovered him first thing the next morning. And that's when it all just hit me, you know, <laughs> like walking up on him. By far the biggest deer body-wise I've ever seen by far the biggest rack I've ever, you know, killed or, or held myself. Um, and just the views around it and just like the years, like, you know, the experiences of the other high country mule deer hunts and failed stocks and all the lessons learned and 
and just this giant culmination of things just hit me all at once. And it was, uh, it was a moment I'll never forget. That's for sure. And it's easy. And I say this all the time, social media, you see the picture, you smiling, awesome view, giant velvet buck. It's easy to see that and think like, oh, this guy's lucky or things are working out. But I've been following you on Instagram for a while and some of your other adventures. And you know, as well as I do, they don't always go like that. In fact, more often than not, they don't. So tell me some of the lessons you learned those first two years that you think helped you, whether that was scouting the terrain, waiting the deer out, uh, gear, any, any lessons you learned there on those first two high country hunts that you think really helped you get in the game on this one? Yeah. The number one thing without a doubt, by far, hands down is, uh, mindset and attitude. Um, I, I feel like, you know, in those first couple of years, I researched just about everything you possibly can about mule deer and about mule deer hunting. You know, I'm, I'm one of those guys that like when, when I get into something, I go, head first and, and don't really think about anything else for a period of time. And that's how I was when I kind of went into my mule deer research. And it, you can listen to a lot of really good mule deer hunters uh, talk about hunting mule deer. And there's these, there's these big like repeatable factors, right? It's like being patient, but being aggressive when you need to be. And that's kind of a skill set that needs to be developed for sure. But waiting for the right opportunity, like, wait for them to bed, make sure your thermals are good. Um, you know, a lot of times they'll bed and then they'll, they'll re-bed. So you don't want to, you don't want to watch them bed on the first bed and then just run in there. You know, these are all things that I knew going into my first hunt, even though I hadn't experienced it, I had listened enough and, and I knew kind of the elevations that they um, typically preferred, you know, and that can shift a lot based on various factors. Um, but like, I knew a lot of this information right that first hunt kicked me in the teeth i backpacked uh pretty far in solo it was also my first solo hunt um and it just kicked me in the teeth i went five days the first five days of the hunt alone without seeing a single antler and uh you know it's just uh you know i had driven like two days across the country i'd like to fly and rent a car but where i went you could not get a rental to so i had to take my own truck and you know, I just got out there and that first one was just such a kick in the teeth. Um, and I ended up packing out of there after five days, packed into a different area, found deer, but they were like on the moon from where I was. There was no water. And it was one of those deals where I was already just beat down. And um, quite frankly, you know, I just kind of folded in the towel. Like I got hit with a big storm that I found the deer and then went to sleep that night, got hit with this massive storm and I was in a burn and, you know, I just got, it got to the, like, it was so windy. I was sprawled out like a starfish holding my tent down and the dead air space in the tent was collecting all the soot and dust in the air. So it was all just falling on my face. I had to take my t-shirt off and stretch it across my face to be able to breathe. And I've been, you know, I'm out there for about almost, yeah, pretty much a week at this point and hadn't got, hadn't went on a single stock and I just found deer, but I was questioning if I could even get to them. And I knew there wasn't water, so I was going to have to pack all this water. And I'll be honest, man, I just kind of cracked and I left. And uh, I told myself back then that I was going to be okay in the future with my decision. 
back then. And I am because I just didn't have it in me at that point. I like, I just didn't have it in me. Um, but man, you want to talk about like sharpening the ax that is your mind on that hunt. When I got home and I was able to reflect on it a lot, you know, I drove for like 40 hours home and, you know, I had a lot of time to reflect on it. Um, you know, the deer just weren't in that first area that I went to and that's fine. Uh, but they were in that second area. They were super far away, but like, if I went there now, I'd go up on, I, you know, I'd pack water. I'd be, I, I would just do whatever I had to do. Um, so I kind of carried that mentality into some of my next hunts with different species. And then last year I went on a um, solo hunt for high country mule deer, did nine days alone in the back country on six days of food, which was a whole other, uh, beast. Um, I wasn't supposed to stay in that long, but I ended up, there was no water there either. Ended up collecting rainwater to extend my stay and ration my food. Uh, got stalked by a mountain lion on the last day. You know, it was just, it was a crazy hunt. And I came so close on some really big deer uh, on that hunt last year. And the biggest thing was like after about, after about day seven, you know, if I, I truly felt like if I had enough food, I could just stay out there for months. Like until the snow pushed me out with the deer, I felt like I could just stay up there. It was, it was an awesome experience to kind of reach that. And that's honestly the only time I've ever reached that point. Uh, Cause you know, you go out and there's always just like a little bit of discomfort, right? You know, yeah. but I just reached this point, man. I've been out there for seven days, hunting these, you know, these same deer and just playing my play. Never saw another hunter. And just after like a week, I was just like, man, I, like I could just do this forever. You know, it's just, I've reached full comfort. And uh, like I said, got so close on these, on a couple really big deer, but just could not pull it off. Um, but again, it was just that mindset, like, you know, because solo hunting messes with your mind. Um, so, you know, dealt with some stuff out there alone you know, don't, don't have any skeletons in the closet when you go solo hunting because they'll come <laughs> out rattling hard. Uh, you know, just staying out there is, is so difficult. And then and like grasping the amount of effort that it actually takes to be consistently successful is something that has just developed over the last couple of years. Like the amount of physical effort is, is almost unimaginable in the regular person's everyday life like in my everyday life the amount of effort that it takes to be successful out there versus the amount of physical effort that i put forth in a regular day is astronomically different like it's not even in the same you know realm with of each other so learning that was a big thing so going into this year i knew mindset wise i'm going to go as far as i have to go i'm going to stay as long as i have to stay there's deer in these mountains and I'm going to, I'm going to either kill one or just basically expire my body trying to kill one. <laughs> you know, like that was my mindset going in and, um, you know, paid off. I didn't, act, I actually didn't have to stay in there that long. I killed him on the second day of season, my fourth day in the back country. So I wasn't in there that long, but, um, yeah, that's the biggest lesson learned is just mindset. And you can listen to people talk about it. Like someone can listen to me talk about it right now. You can go listen to 
all these other guys talk on podcasts and videos about mindset and just attitude and give it everything until you actually kind of experience it. And until you get your butt kicked and lick your wounds and and keep going back for more, you know, that's just an all Western hunting for me. And I'm, I don't know if it's, I'm assuming it's probably the same for you is just, just that mindset of just how much effort it actually takes and being okay with being so depleted and exhausted and deteriorated and just keep pushing and pushing until it happens. You know, that's, that's what I've learned anyways. I couldn't agree more the effort part. And one of the points you made there, the effort, and I don't think people realize if you haven't solo hunted and I mean, it seems obvious when you think about it, but like my elk spot I was hunting this year, it was a couple miles in. So I'm getting up, I'm hiking an hour, hour and a half before daylight to get in there where the elk had been at daylight. So that means you're either taking food with you or you're trying to cook something before you eat, uh, before you leave, which means you're getting up even earlier where I was at. The action was like the first hour or two, but I was out. So then, and I don't know if this is part of the thing you dealt with too, mule deer hunting, but the middle of the day, if there's not action, I mean, it gets so boring. What do you do out there all day, right? Like for elk, the action's over for me anyways. It was over by 8, 30, 9 o'clock. And then I'm sitting around until four or five, six in the, you know, in the evening and you're just doing nothing. You're just trying to pass the time. And this season for me, I started the opening weekend. It was super hot. I hunted solo. I couldn't hardly stand it. I mean, it was like 95 degrees. I was like, what am I doing out here? And by the end of the season, I had 230 miles on, you know, Garmin GPS watch. So a lot of times and depleted and you're right, man. You start to ask, like you figure out if you really want it, I guess is, is the key thing. Do you really want it? And if you do, you'll find a way to keep going. And if you don't, you don't. So right 100 percent. yeah it it tests it tests every fiber of your being and again it's like all these uh you know stereotypical cliche sayings but like until you live it you know it it's really how it is out there it's it's it takes everything in you and and you know you can you can get lucky and kill stuff without being like that 100 percent. but to just be consistently a killer um i just feel like that's what it takes is just this true, true, whatever it takes mindset. And that, and that is just so un, underestimated by hearing it without living it, you know, now, yeah. you know, I feel like I've lived it, you know, on, on a handful of hunts where I've kind of pushed myself way past where I thought was possible. And, you know, I've got a hunt coming up this spring, uh, a spring bear hunt where I'm probably going to try to push it like considerably harder than I've ever pushed it before. And, um, it's daunting. It's like, it's honestly daunting because every time I accomplish something that I didn't think I could do before I build myself up and then I do it or, I, or I, you know, maybe come, come short, but at least I, you know, try and I learned just like, I just keep pushing it more and more and it just keeps being daunting and daunting. But <laughs> I don't know, man, it's like, just, it's like building a callus. It's like building a callus on your mind and like, obviously physical, uh, conditioning, is a huge, huge part of that. But like your mind is what stops you. Your mind is what gets you back in the truck and not out there on the mountain. And like just callousing that mind over and over, you know, that's, and that can be said for anything, like even whitetail hunting, you know, like just 
you know, whitetail hunting in general isn't, isn't quite as physically demanding, I wouldn't say, but like mentally demanding, I think it is, it's just in a completely different way. It's all, it's like callousing your mind. Whitetail hunting is different than callousing your mind for physical exertion in the mountains. It's, it's like a, it's like a playing chess with your own mind, you know, for whitetails, at least it is for me. And, and that was, you know, that's something that I had to do with myself constantly this whitetail season, just battle myself and, and just kind of stick to the playbook, like just keep, keep putting in effort and just keep scouting new areas and trying to find new bucks and trying to figure, you know, deer out and just, just keeping at it. You know, it's not, it's not that physical exertion, but like mental exertion and just time, just time and effort um just keep going and going and going and going until success finds itself well that's a good segue there you talked about whitetail so you arrow this giant mule deer buck early september like the sixth or the seventh somewhere in there right yeah it was the it was the third because opening day was the second so i killed him on the third and then roughly a week later two weeks later you shoot a really good uh early season buck in in missouri 13 days later Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. This, the second day of Missouri season, I killed the the early season whitetail. And for people that maybe missed that first episode where I had John, you're from West Virginia originally. You moved to Missouri this year. So walk me through the process of scouting uh, all new terrain, locating the buck. What kind of methods did you use? Were you onto this buck? And then just your overall experience in the Midwest early season. Yeah. Midwest early season, uh, glassing. Um, trail cameras are illegal on the vast majority of public land in Missouri, which was a, uh, I don't want to say a shock to me, but it was definitely different. Um, not having trail cameras at my advantage for trying to find an early season buck. So it was pretty much all glassing and also, uh, looking for tracks. Uh, tracks was never a huge part of my play in West Virginia, steep, rocky soil, you know, hard to even find good, good tracks unless, you know, sometimes like in Creek crossings, but out here, uh, after good rains, which was the problem with finding tracks, you know, we were kind of in a drought all summer. So really the vast majority of my scouting all summer was, was glassing, um, glassing slash just bumping deer on purpose. But then as they run away, I raise up my binoculars so we can just call that glassing too. Um, but yeah, you know, when I say glassing, I don't mean like sitting in your truck just looking at bean fields only. Yes, I did that, but I, you know, I kind of took tactics from West Virginia and brought them out here where glass like a lot of weird stuff like maybe river bottoms with tall grass and watch bucks, you know, stand up out of their bed or or watch power lines and timber or watch just overgrown CRP fields versus the beautiful, you know, green bean field. But I also saw a ton of deer in bean fields, um, glass them in hay fields. I just, I, I spent, I spent an insane amount of time on a whitetail this year, like to the point where looking back on it, it was probably too much, you know, um, like realistically, it was probably too much. Like I look back and it's like, you really discarded just about everything else in your life for a couple of months. <laughs> yeah. Like, and, and, you know, I've said that plenty of times before in my life, but like looking back on this season, truly, uh, I might have pushed it too much. Um, but it did lead to, you know, 
a pretty comfortable level of success, especially early season. I felt like I had that buck dead before opening day came. Um, so yeah, I found, I found like a ton of deer. Right. Um, and then I kept narrowing it down, like which deer did I think was more killable and, um, not necessarily going for the biggest deer, but basically going for, um, this kind of class of deer where it's like, it's the caliber of deer that I want. It meets the caliber that I want to shoot. Now, which one is the most killable? Because the pressure, the pressure was insane. And I knew, uh, I knew the pressure was going to move these deer all around. I basically had, well, I, even my schedule, I had, I had four days. I had the first four days of season to hunt. And then after that, I couldn't hunt for a couple of weeks um, because of other stuff in life that was more important. Um, so I basically scouted all summer, went to Colorado, shot this mule deer, came back last minute scouting. And um, I was like, I, I have to kill a deer in the first four days of season or I'm, or I'm not going to kill one of these deer. So put a lot of pressure on myself and ended up, you know, I the buck that I was after, like my number one target that I deemed like he's my primary number one out of like the 30. I found like, I think it was 27 or 28 shooters. Um, and out of all of them, you know, I, I narrowed it down to like, this is the deer I'm going to try to kill first off. And I uh, didn't kill him opening day, but I killed him second day. Uh, he read the script just like to a T, you know, he came out on the trail where I thought he would at the time I thought he would. And I shot him within 10 feet of where I thought I would. And just like your stereotypical pub or uh, early season play, you know, just spend weeks and weeks and weeks figuring him out and then executing it, you know, and that's, that's my favorite whitetail hunt right there. Like just playing chess before season and then season comes in and, and you, you lay them on the ground. I absolutely love that. I want to take a minute to mention huntingbeastgear.com. Co-founded by the big buck serial killer himself, Dan Infault, Hunting Beast Gear features state-of-the-art manufacturing techniques, the highest quality materials, and innovative designs that have been engineered, field-tested, and refined to perfection by a group of the best mobile hunters on the planet. www.huntingbeastgear.com delivers cutting-edge products, including beast gear climbing sticks with weight reduction holes, designed to deliver incredible durability in a lightweight stick. Beast Gear Climbing Sticks also feature non-staggered inline stacking and double steps, all in a 2.2-pound package, including the fastening strap. HuntingBeastGear.com has also released the game-changing Beast Gear Hang-On Tree Stand, designed to be the ultimate hang-on tree stand solution. With over four years of prototyping, testing, and refinement, the Beast Gear Stand features a 16-inch wide by 29-inch long platform. The stand comes in at an incredible 6.8 pounds, and it does all that without compromising strength or durability. The Beast Gear Stand is finished with a long-lasting anodized coating and features grade 8 hardware, high-quality Delrin washers, beast buttons, and adjustment knobs. For more details and to place your order today, head on over to www.huntingbeastgear.com. Now, back to the podcast. Yeah, and the previous episode, and that's something I wanted to get into, we talked about early season and, and how several years in a row you killed your target buck on the first day or the second day, and I would say that you're definitely uh, – not that you're not good in other areas of the season, but an early season specialist for sure. So for guys that are listening to this, because I, I think early season, if you don't have it figured out, is one of the tougher times to kill a deer. But I also think it's one of the best times to kill a big deer, especially, uh, especially if you're targeting a single deer. So 
going into the season, uh, you talked about glassing. What helped you figure out this buck, and why did you think this buck uh, in particular was going to be the most killable? Um, yeah, you know, like I said, I was kind of watching and finding and keeping tabs on just a ton of deer. And some deer, you just see kind of, you, you'll just see them once. You'll never see them again in the summer. Like I saw a giant typical this year, a um, couple weeks before season. And as much as I wanted to put all my eggs into that basket, I never saw him again. And with the pressure moving in, I knew I just had to kind of go after a, a really big deer that I can kill versus like a g absolute giant that I honestly don't think I have that great of a chance at killing. Maybe I could have, but I'm here to tell you that by far and large, like the chances of me killing that deer were very slim, but man, he was, <laughs> he was special. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so I just keep finding these deer and I'm routinely checking on them and, you know, and I'm doing this every single day after work, I'm driving anywhere from 45 minutes at the closest up to like a little over two hours. And I did that, um, like, especially once August ran, came around, I, I think I went, if I had to guess, I would say I probably went. 25 to 27 days of august glassing and, oh, wow. and that's with and that's with like i left to go to colorado i think august 30th so cut cut one or two days out like it was almost every single day of august i was out there uh scouting and just the amount of effort that's what i'm saying it's just like it was insane um and i narrowed it down to say maybe six or eight bucks that I had a really good, you know, really good pattern. Actually, no, it was more than that. Uh, so another thing is there was um, multiple really good deer that were in areas that I knew other people were watching them. And I knew that they would have people on them immediately. This, the minute season came in, I just disregarded those deer. I just, I just walked away. Like there's opportunities to find other deer to kind of play your own game on. So I just disregarded them, even though they were big, like the one deer was awesome. He was, you know, probably low fifties mainframe 11 with like a eight inch inline dagger on the inside of his main beam, just like a super cool deer. Like never seen a big giant dagger on the inline like that on a whitetail, but man, he was living like at the front of the property you know, coming out into a bean field right next to a, a gravel road where on any given night you could roll up and see three different trucks look at that deer every night. It's like, I'm not, I'm not even going to put stock in that deer. If that was the only deer I had, then yeah, I'm going to try to outsmart the other hunters. But with the opportunities that exist, like I'm just going to go find another deer that I can play my own game on. So once you kind of exclude those deer, the, the deer that are patterned, but are going to get pressured and then you exclude the deer that are not patterned. Um, now you're down to the deer that you have pretty patterned and you don't think are going to get pushed like insanely hard right off the bat. And then once you have those deer, now I start kind of narrowing it down. Like how often does he do this? Like some deer will hold a pattern loosely. Some deer are, are more like super, um, 
tight with their with their patterns and so and then like to give you an example my top two deer number one the one the deer i killed he wasn't as consistent as number two as far as when he came out but where he came out like extremely consistent never saw him use another entrance all summer one time one time all summer saw him use a different entrance so i knew that if i could get a shot to that location and he came out i would have a shot whereas my number two i saw him every day i ever looked for him every single day i ever went to look for that deer i saw him but he had three different locations that he would use so now you're kind of juggling and there was no rhyme or reason to it. So now you're juggling 33% on what, what, you know, where he's going to come out, what bedding area he's going to use. Like this, the deer I ended up killing. It's like, if he comes out, I'm going to kill him right here. And he was pretty consistent coming out. Every, but here's the thing that, that made me kind of make my final decision. Every single time there was any bit of front whatsoever, like a, a tiny cold front, precip precipitation, anything, he came out. And leading into opening day, there was a tiny front with uh, the next day precipitation. And I was like, that deer is going to show one of these two days and I'm going to kill him. You know, so it was like all eggs in that basket for the first two days. And, uh, I was kind of surprised he didn't show the first day, honestly, but the, the next day was cool. Had some precipitation. Never, not saw, never did I not see that deer on a rainy day in the summer for whatever reason. I've never put a big uh, precipitation correlation with an individual deer until this one. But if it was like raining or sprinkling, he was every single day, he would come out early mm. for whatever reason. I don't know why, but there was definitely a correlation that I put together on that deer. So when it rained, it rained around 2 PM the second day, just like a light sprinkle, 30 minutes. I was like, that deer's dying. Uh, like he's dead. And then he came out, you know, not super early, but uh, he had shed velvet and stuff, you know, but uh, you know, 15, 20 minutes before dark. And um, I was able to get the arrow in him. So it was just, it, it, that was just like the chess match. And then just, said checkmate you know and that like that's by far my favorite style of hunting and i and i agree with you that if you don't have early season figured out it's tough like it's really really tough the only other time that's tougher is late season if you don't have it figured out but if you have it figured out like give me opening day just get like that's by far my favorite time to kill him is opening day or you know the second or third or fourth day yeah, well, and you brought up some interesting points there about why you ruled out some of those bucks that might have been uh far as score, bigger score, or higher age class or whatever. But I think you went about it real smart because you know as well as I do, you don't have to see those guys in the trucks out messing with stands or putting out bait or doing whatever they're doing. You know it's going to happen, and you know that that buck's going to get boogered up most likely in the days leading up to the season, not even the opener. So. I think that was real smart and some of the things that you talked about again going back to that first podcast if people haven't listened to that we talked a lot about like your glassing techniques especially in west virginia doing some of the power lines and hill country and stuff that's a little more unconventional and sounds like you utilize some of those tactics and 
Missouri too, and probably finding some bucks that would be overlooked by, you know, the average guy that's driving the block, looking at the bean field. So pretty interesting there. Yeah. Um, you know, I definitely saw a lot of other guys glass and bean fields. Uh, you know, that's just what people do in the Midwest. Right. Yeah. But like glass and that weird stuff, never saw anybody else doing it. And I think that I found deer that deer that I, you know, I didn't kill. I didn't kill them this year, but I found them and I I'll almost guarantee you that, you know, leading up to early season that nobody else was finding those deer. Cause I can't run trail cameras. And there was nobody glassing them. So, you know, it's just, uh, it's a really good tool to kind of keep in the toolbox. That's a little unconventional that, you know, I learned out of necessity that you can now apply to other places. So it's kind of cool to do that. Well, moving into the rut, you just stacked the deer up this year. So you got a nice buck during the early part of November too. What, what's the story on that one there? That was Missouri also. Uh, yeah. So, um, that was also Missouri. Uh, I, I, I shot one of my deer this year on a managed hunt. Um, so it gives me a bonus tag um, Okay, just to clear up any legal issues. Sure. Missouri is a two buck state if you don't have that. Uh, but I did have that. So um, I spent a ton of time, like a month, solid month, uh, scouting this big public area and um, just like, continuously checking new areas, continuously scouting, uh, hunting a little bit like through all of October, but 99% scouting, just scouting, 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 scouting. Just kept narrowing down areas, crossing off bad areas, putting good areas in the back of my pocket. And, Real um, quick, when you say you're crossing off bad areas, what do you use or what are you looking at to rule an area out? And when you say good area, what, sign are you seeing or what notes are you taking that think oh, i might want to come back here once things heat up a little bit yeah so the bad areas was typically hunting pressure hunting pressure and human sign uh big deterrence for sure the good areas uh basically areas that it seemed like people were not hunting and keep in mind like all this is brand new first season sure. um and i came to find out like some of those good areas ended up getting hammered with pressure in the rut like it was a ghost town in october and looked great but you know public land in the midwest in the first two weeks in november there's people everywhere so yeah um yeah but it's it's easier to cross off like i'm pretty confident when i say that's a bad area i'm not as confident all the time when i say that's a good area um because that happens like sometimes it looks good and then pressure hits in november and just ruins it but uh so that's what i was doing like i was basically finding where people are and are not hunting that was a big part looking for buck sign looking for bucks themselves i'm still glassing a lot still glassing a lot all through season i'm glassing and man i just so i was uh all through october into early november i was sleeping in my truck uh three to four nights a week so i was out in the field three to four days a week um i'm i work a the job I have right now, it's a, a rotating four by 10 schedule. So it, it, it allows me a little bit of, I work longer on my days at work, but it allows me a little more time off, but I never took a single vacation day. Uh, it was just all my work schedule, but three to four nights a week, I was sleeping in my truck away from home and for six weeks. So again, you know, 
So three or four nights a week, that's three and a half average. That's half of every week. I'm not sleeping in my bed. I'm sleeping in my truck trying to find a dang deer to go shoot. So Sounds familiar. Yeah. Right. So, (laughs) you know, and I just, uh, man, I just, I was on this big public area just spinning my wheels, spinning my wheels. And, um, it just felt like that's what it was. I was just spinning my wheels. Like I was finding a lot of decent deer. I knew there were some bigger ones around, but I just wasn't getting on anything. I wasn't seeing anything. It wasn't just, it just never seemed like it was like there, you know, like it was just. So, but then it comes to this conundrum, you know, now it's November and I've just put five solid weeks of scouting into like this one, not like when I say area, I'm not talking like one little spot. I'm talking like a, a multi, multi thousand acre area. And I just, it just, I don't know. It just felt like I was spinning my wheels uh big time. And uh so, you know, I had some conversations with uh, some mutual friends of ours, you know, Justin Wright and Andy May, I was talking to them and, you know, we're all kind of talking and stuff and, I was bouncing my thought process on off both of them and kind of gathering feedback. And I kind of like inside my instinct was like, go somewhere else. Like it's not happening here. You've put five weeks in, you haven't killed one, go somewhere else. And in both of those guys, which, you know, both those guys, I highly, highly, highly respect. They both had kind of simple, sim- similar sentiments. Um, like just, just bounce. Like it's the rut, like something can happen anywhere at any time. Just bounce. So I kind of made my decision, drove through the night to a completely new area, never set foot there ever, you know, pulled up just, before, you know, like 1230 at night, slept a couple hours and then got up, started heading in with that gray light, just kind of got all the gear on my back. And I was just kind of still hunting slash scouting slash like I, there was some big hub systems I wanted to check out. And uh, long story short, I, I ended up bumping a buck that was locked on a doe in the timber on Hardwood Ridge. And uh, he was big. And I split him up. He went to the right. The doe went to the left, up the ridge. And then a little buck chased another hot doe past me. So I was like, I'm in deer. Like, this is it right here. Look at a map. This spot looks terrible. Well, <laughs> it's not right now. You know what I mean? Sure. It's it, it's one of those like if if you just look at a topo map, I'm never setting up there ever. But like that's what I like. I like when it's like, yeah, it doesn't make sense, but there's two hot does right here. So I just I was like that the buck I bumped is gonna come back in some way or fashion. He's not just gonna leave and never come back to a hot doe that he was just locked on. And in some way or shape or form, he's gonna come back to this area. So I got and set up where those two hot doe trails crossed where I could basically shoot the X and about four or five hours later he came back in below me uh couldn't you could it was kind of funny because you could honestly almost tell he was mad like he was raking and scraping I think he was like visible like visibly mad that he couldn't find his doe um and I ended up calling at him kind of aggressively and uh he just turned into a different, different animal. Like he, he did stuff that I've never seen or heard a deer do. I mean, it sounded like someone was dri- driving a D10 dozer through the woods. <laughs> I mean, he, dude, I'm serious. He ripped 
the woods apart. I snort wheezed at him and raked uh, a branch like super aggressive in the tree that I was in to the point where it was almost like stupid aggressive to call at him like that. But I knew how old he was and I knew the mood that he was in and, and the behavior he was exhibiting below me. So I just I I started with a grunt and it didn't do that much. And I was just like, I just got to just take him off. And, and he just went berserk. I mean, he made literally probably 15 to 20 scrapes within 75 yards of me oh, wow. and probably somewhere between five and 10 different rubs. He was kind of in some thick stuff. So it was kind of hard to tell exactly how many rubs he made after the fact I went down there, he rubbed a cedar tree that was bigger, like bigger around than my thigh, like almost as big around as my waist and just shredded it. There was uh, some smaller, like, two-inch trees that he had, like, ripped up and broke off. I mean, it it was, like, I was like, oh, my gosh. this If I was scouting and found this, I would have a heart attack. But, like, the deer <laughs> that just made this is laying dead in the ravine, you know, 200 yards away. So, yeah, man, he he ended up coming right up in. I, I got an arrow in him and, and killed him. And uh, he's definitely my biggest bodied whitetail, like, for sure. Probably at the very least size for my oldest, um, if not my my oldest, uh, most mass on a deer I've ever shot. Just like a just an absolute brute of a buck. Um, and it's on and it was on like a super heavily pressured piece. So, I mean, I was it's just a testament, uh, again, of mindset to, to know when to keep pushing, but to know when to change. And um that was a, a huge learning experience for me because, you know, even though that that's kind of what my instinct was telling me and that's what my buddies were telling me, part of me was still like, man, you're leaving like where you have all this intel. Like you've got 20 different spots in your Rolodex. You've scouted all these, you know, it's like, why leave that now at prime time? Like it's November, when I kill him, like November 4th, I think. It's like, why leave that now? But it just, it wasn't happening. So you just got to change it and go to a new area. And then, and then I, you know, I jumped that buck. And it's one of those things where I think some guys would jump that buck, look at a map and say, oh, this spot doesn't look any good. And say, oh, that terrain feature 400 yards away looks really good. And they would go over there and hunt that. I think a lot of guys would do that because I almost had to kind of fight the urge to do that. You know, we're so used to looking at maps and we're so used to looking at our phones to tell us where to kill a deer. Right. But when you're out there, don't look at your phone. If you like, if you, if you're witnessing stuff in front of you, you have to just play off of what you're seeing. You know what I mean? And I think that's a big mistake that I, at least I think that a lot of guys probably make, and I've made it before. Like I I'm guilty, like in my younger years, of seeing stuff and being like, Oh, okay. There's a shooter here. Now let me literally leave where he's at to go to what, to a feature or something that, you know, a forum or a magazine or an article says makes sense, you know? And it's like, I've made that mistake. And I think a lot of guys make that mistake and it, you just have to uh, see what's actually happening and hunt accordingly. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree more. There's nothing better than a visual, and especially during the rut with a doe lockdown, if you know your deer biology, which a lot of guys are getting pretty educated these days, 
you know, that doze into heat for 24, 48 hours. And I always gamble that it's early in that, right? If I'm seeing a buck locked down with the doe, maybe they're breeding, but I just always gamble that they're not. And this buck right there, prime example, I jumped that buck in a, in a spot kind of like what you're talking about. Didn't make a whole lot of sense train wise. It was actually a quarter mile from a parking lot. Um, in hindsight, it made a little bit of sense, but I jumped that buck and I went back in the next day because he was locked down with the doe. It was November 6th and I killed him on the 7th. Went back in and in two draws over from where I jumped in, you know, that the day before I ended up killing him. So yeah, trust the visual, right? Like don't overthink it. If there's a buck there and there's a doe in heat, like what else do you want? And I, like I said, I always assume that they're going to be there for one more day and they're in that area for a reason. I've talked about this in other podcasts and I would imagine you've seen it too. These older bucks, they know somehow how to run does into areas that I think are more difficult for other bucks to scent check, which like in prairie country, you see them in fence rows a lot. You never see a mature buck in a fence row um, or an open one like that. He's pushing them out there because the other bucks don't want to come out in the open to scent check and he's hiding her or they, I've seen them push them up against water a lot because it's harder for a buck to get downwind of a big pond or, or something or a lake. So you, you see them end up in these weird spots. So I think when you see that, they're there for a reason. And the whole point I'm getting is if you jump them, they're likely going to be in that area or a very similar area, not too far away. Yeah. And a lot of times it's like, for me, I've, I've, as far as whitetail, I haven't hunted in prairie, uh, for whitetail specifically. Um, almost everything I've ever hunted has been pretty timbered. Um, even, even a lot of the stuff here in the Midwest, like I'm, I'm hunting primarily timbered up stuff. So seeing that isn't as easy as like glassing them going out to the uh, the fence rows and hedgerows like you're like you're talking right. So I keep having to remind myself they're there for a reason. And you know what? Even if they're not there for a reason, they're still there. <laughs> so right. it's, like, it's like it doesn't really matter if there's a reason or not. You know, it's like you don't have to have a reason to shoot them. You just have to have them there. You know, and that's what I kind of told myself on this buck. It's like, I don't know why he's on this ridge with this doe, but this is the last place that he just lost his doe. And a small buck just chased another hot doe out of the drainage that he just went into. So there's another hot doe stream coming up to this exact same spot. There's no way I'm not sitting right here. So I just climbed up in a tree and just waited. And like I said, you know, hours later, he came back in doing the exact same thing that I thought. Um, interestingly enough, he he had made a big loop around me and came in from 180 degrees from the opposite direction, uh, which doesn't necessarily surprise me. I think I think he was trying to get away from me and go look for that doe and didn't find her. This is all theory, but I think he was making sure. a loop to get away from me to go find where that doe went. And when he didn't find her, he was backtracking to where he actually lost her. Um, that's just my theory. That's kind of what makes sense in my head. Um, but he never did get to go find her again. So <laughs> no, that, that story again, great illustration of uh, don't overthink it. And I've been in the similar situation. Sometimes you're tried and true spots just aren't panning out. Not that you necessarily have tried and true spots in Missouri being a newcomer, but things that looked good that you think would work out if they're not working, like 
make it happen, find some action, kind of like you were talking your your first mule deer hunt, right? A couple of days right. in there, nothing's going on. Get out of there, make it happen somewhere else. Right. Well, then, uh, so that's three bucks. So you got a you got a giant mule deer down, two nice white tails, and then going into gun season, um, I I believe one more Missouri buck. That's probably the managed buck, and then and then a West Virginia. So let's wrap up with some gun talk. And one of the things that I I've seen and I like it. I would consider you to be a pretty diehard bow hunter. I'm sure that's your your forte and what you'd prefer to do. But I think some guys take that to the absolute extreme and and don't gun hunt at all. And I don't know, I've done that before. But gun hunting is pretty fun too. So talk to me about your uh, your rifle hunts this year and, and how those came together. Yeah, so I'm I'm definitely more of a bow hunter. Um, I just love the bow. I just love archery. Like even if I didn't hunt, which I can't imagine that, but if I did not hunt, I would still shoot archery. Um, and I, you know, I I did. I shot competitive archery in college, and I just I love archery, but I also grew up gun hunting and I, you know, I, I hunt, I'm just a hunter, you know, like I just like to hunt. And so, you know, I'll gun hunt. I had not before this year, I hadn't killed a, a whitetail buck with a rifle in nine years, um, since high school. So like, it had been a long time since I'd shot a buck with a rifle. Um, Cause I just didn't really do it. Like usually in West Virginia, I had my tags filled with my bow and um, just kind of used rifle season as more of a, like maybe shoot a doe, hang out with buddies, kind of have more of that camaraderie style hunting, but out here, you know, okay, now it's rifle season. I've got another tag. Um, I started trying to bow hunt in archery only areas that was kind of my original strategy because I was thinking, okay, all this pressure is going to be going around, even on private, like the amount of gun hunters in Missouri is unreal. So maybe they'll get pushed into this uh, archery only public. So I got way deep into this archery only public, um, like two miles, which is pretty deep for Midwest. And, um, Man, I hunted it for three days and like kind of bouncing around back in that area and got walked in on by gun hunters every single day. And I was just like, you gotta be kidding me, man. In the archery only area? Yeah, yeah. You missed yeah, the yeah. memo, huh? Right. Yeah. yeah. So I was just like, oh gosh, you gotta be kidding me. Anyways, I go home, go back to work, and I'm just sitting at work and I'm thinking, I'm like, you know what? I'm I'm, I'm gonna go gun hunting. And I was like, I've got I've got some spots up my sleeve that you know, when I was scouting all fall, found some areas that I thought would be green, like prime during gun season for the sake of the refuge that the areas offer. So, you know, I'm, I'm looking at some maps and, and looking at wind direction and thinking where pressure is going to come from. And I kind of put this plan together in my head. Um, the best area that I had in my head was this massive thicket that bordered kind of a super thick river bottom with like nine foot tall river cane grass, like just stuff that if you wanted to not get shot and you stayed in it during daylight hours, you're never going to get shot ever. So I was like, there's going to be deer in there. I know there will be, it's just, can I get a shot? Will they be in there before daylight? Um, you know, lots of variables, but I knew that that was going to offer refuge. So Again, you know, uh, I had to kind of take 
care of some stuff at home. So I did that and then ended up leaving the next morning at like, I think I left at one 30 in the morning. Like I slept like two hours and <laughs> left and drove like multiple hours and then hiked in over a mile to the spot. And it was just a nasty morning, like kind of not sleeting, but just like kind of a misty air and high wind and just a nasty day. And I get set up, um, I get set up like right at gray light. I, I pull my binos and I start scanning and immediately like 30 seconds into glassing, I spot a small buck, a little six point and he's working the transition, going back to bed in the, in the um, tall stuff, reading the script. And I'm, I'm just kind of panning, following him from right to left. And as I'm panning, I see in the background, this just, big wide rack turn like 20 yards behind him and i was like oh, man that's a big deer so then started about 10 or 15 minutes of absolute chaos um i was just i kept trying to get on him with my scope and it was it was still you know not full light it was shooting light but it was not full light and it's kind of thick over there i'm trying to keeping glimpses of his rack and waiting for him to step out and then kind of wraps around the hill. So I sprint up the hill I'm on sprint out. You know, it was just absolute utter chaos. Just me running around trying to get a shot at this deer. Like, um, and, and eventually he just kind of disappears. Like at one point I sprint out this hill, I range him. He's kind of across the valley which was another cool thing because I was like up on this ridge kind of above a cliff shooting across this like little valley. So it was a really cool setting, ranging, and I'm trying to get down and get uh, a rest. And I look back up and he's just gone. And there's no way he smelled me or heard me because of the weather conditions. But he was only about 20 yards away from that thick stuff. So I can only imagine he went and laid down in it. Um, but he just kind of disappeared. But then all of a sudden, I see another buck. Another good buck, a buck that I probably would have shot had I not just seen this really big deer. And he comes back, works the transition, like just like the big one in that little six point and goes right into that tall grass. And I'm like, okay, this is perfect. Like they're doing exactly what I thought they would. You know, it's 20 minutes into daylight now. I've seen three bucks. And I was like, I'm just going to sit here and watch this all day like if they get up and mill around there's a couple spots that's like low enough that you can shoot into that grass i was like maybe i'll get a crack out of in there milling in the middle of the day maybe they'll leave before um maybe they'll leave before dark you know i've got i've got all this kind of turning in my head i'm gonna sit here all day all day and then i look up and i'm like big buck <laughs> there's another <laughs> one there's another big one coming down that transition and he's standing over there and I'm, and again, just scrambling, trying to get an opening, trying to get an opening. And then finally, I get sat down. I'm, this was kind of a, a difficult shot. Um, and I definitely would say I'm, you know, I wouldn't say that I'm inept with a rifle. But, like, I don't, I like, I know my bow so intimately, right? Like, I, I shoot all the time. And, like, admittedly, I don't go out there and shoot thousands of rounds a year out of my rifle. I shoot thousands upon thousands of arrows. But with a rifle... I don't. So I'm trying to make this hard shot 
and I'm kind of sitting down, resting on a fallen log and shooting through like a softball sized hole in the canopy that's in front of me to go across the valley. I was just like, if I shoot perfect, he's done. Right. So I just calmed the breathing down and, and touched it off and, and uh, I dropped him right there. And I was just so excited. And then it hit me. I was like, I don't even know what he is. Like, I just saw big frame to the point where, like, when I saw it, it was, he's a shooter. Like, there was no doubt in my mind. Um, and when I got over there and found him, I was super, super pleased with him. He was, he's a mainframe 10, the nastiest bases on any deer I've ever shot. He's got matching, like, devil tines that come out along his forehead off both burrs. Just like a super cool deer. Um, and I was just like, I just felt so fortunate, you know, and I was, I was tagged out all on public land, new state, three bucks, and just kind of put, uh, wrote the final chapter on, on the book for this year, it felt like. And um, it's just, it was just awesome. Like, again, the plan came together. First, first buck I shot nine years with a rifle gun season on public land in the Midwest, like the most pressure you could imagine basically. And to be able to figure it out and not just see this one buck and kill him, but also see like multiple other good bucks. And then as I was walking over to recover my deer, another pretty good buck popped out and did the same thing. So it was like, I was in them big time. And that's, like I was telling some buddies, like, I feel like this time of year when there's this much pressure going on, you're just either in them or you're not. Like you got to find where they are going where other people aren't. And like, that's where they're going to be. And that's where they were in this instance. So to kind of play all that out in my head and then go in and execute and just have it like just play out to a T was just such an incredible feeling. Again, it just kind of goes back to like that chess match thing. Like that's, that's what fires me up more than anything else. It's just figuring them out and playing the chess match. Um, It was just like, it was just a great feeling. So then I, you know, I got him packed out and yeah. And then I was tagged out out here, you know, um, and which was kind of a weird feeling after just going, 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 going to now be like, okay, I, I can't go. Anymore. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. So now what? So now I was like, that was a uh, mid, that was, when was that? What did I shoot him? November. Hmm. 18th or 19th or something i'd have to look it was kind of like mid late november um and then i decided lat like very last minute that in like a couple days like four days later i was going to drive back to west virginia and see some family for thanksgiving so uh drove back to west well and of course i was going to try to sneak some hunts in on some sure. of the old on the <laughs> on the old jaunts back there uh of course uh, so I actually had two deer in mind in West Virginia and it was rifle season in West Virginia, which again, I typically don't rifle hunt, but it's like, man, I know this property. I know both these deer. If I have the advantage of the rifle, I might be able to get this done in like the couple short days that I had. So I had this plan figured out. There's two deer. Um, we've got history with both of them, but there's a, there was a 10 point and a super wide eight point and the eight point I had passed, um, two years prior with a bow 
and this is on a buddy of mine's property who also hunts. So he's kind of sending me trail cam pictures and, um, you know, I'm saying, Hey, like I saw that deer over here last year, drop a camera over there. Cause I, you know, he was trying to get on them. And, um, you know, we're, you know, we, we've always shared information on deer out there and hunt it together. And, you know, so I'm, I go back and basically I have this plan that's, Again, not overcomplicating things. There's two big doe bedding areas. And I know for a fact that both of these bucks check does in both of these uh, doe bedding areas during the rut. And in between them is a long gas line, right? So it's maybe 60 yards wide. So with a rifle, you basically have this big, long shooting lane in between these two massive doe bedding areas. So you don't really have to narrow it down to the specific trail, right? You've got a, a couple hundred yards of, uh, you know, availability there, like wherever they end up crossing, if they do. So I went there uh, the night before Thanksgiving. I got back, I literally got back into town and, and like before I even stopped and saw anyone, I went to the woods and, <laughs> and went out <laughs> got out there and hunted i i only hunted for like two hours i think um you know i got there like right before dark and ran out saw some deer but not either of my target deer and then the next morning thanksgiving morning i went out and about an hour and a half into the hunt that wide eight just read the script perfect just came out of the one bedding area was crossing into the other shot him put him down and i was just like what just happened you know yeah. like i was i was sitting over a thousand miles away yesterday drumming this up in my mind and and here i am and i've got this buck dead you know <laughs> like it was just uh and that was more so i i contribute that way more to just knowing that property like the back of my hand you know like i've hunted that property for years and i just i know it like the back of my hand i know how the deer move i know where the concentrations of bedding is, you know, I know it just, I know it extremely well. And I just knew, and we usually don't rifle on it. Uh, we, we usually only bow on it. Um, but for, you know, for this instance, I was like, I'm only going to be in towns for a couple of days. I'm going to rifle on it. Um, and he just, he read the script. Perfect, man. Just a, a good, solid four-year-old West Virginia buck. Um, really wide, just a cool rack. Um, and was able to punch a tag on him. And uh, that's that's the last deer hunt I've went on was Thanksgiving, <laughs> it, which was also really cool because, like, moving away from home and then getting to go home, shoot that deer, show friends and family, hang out with friends and family, all on Thanksgiving before, like, you know, the Thanksgiving dinner. That was, like, a really cool experience, you know. So it, it was kind of a – it was definitely um, an experience to remind me to be thankful as cliche as that sounds. No. And I mean, you talked about a little bit, the rifle hunting with friends. I, I like that aspect of it too. The camaraderie, it's a different thing. Like bow hunting in a group, it's, it's challenging and it rarely works out, but with the rifle hunting, I feel like it just lends itself better to, you know, to having a group and like that camp atmosphere. So that's always fun. And I mean, you had a tremendous, amazing year. Is this maybe the best year you've ever had or close? It's got to be, right? Yeah. Uh, this year, last year, last year, I shot six whitetail bucks and a mule deer buck. Um, so I shot more bucks last year 
but I would say like the quality of experience. I don't know. Last year, last year I shot my biggest whitetail and the most bucks I ever shot in a season. This year I shot my biggest mule deer. You know, I don't know. The last two seasons have just been beyond what I really thought I would ever have. So I'm just super thankful, you know, for all my seasons, obviously, but especially these last two have just been kind of like the stars have aligned. Yeah. And that's uh, something we didn't talk about. Obviously you're a super skilled hunter. And if anybody's listening to this, that hasn't listened to the other episode, I advise them to go back and listen to that one. But there's always some element of luck, right? Because certain things could go just a little bit wrong or a little bit right. And, and sometimes that is the difference, but yeah, like you said, all the stars line and it, you know, I've had years like that when it rains, it pours sometimes it's like, I can't do anything wrong. <laughs> so, right. Yeah, man. And I look at like this season specifically in Missouri, you know, like, I don't want, I don't want it to be construed. Like it was a tough season. Like, yeah, I shot, you know, I shot three really good deer and, uh, but I had, I had four shot opportunities at deer and that's including the big deer that I was trying to get my scope on before I shot the one with a gun. So like actual true shot opportunities, I had three in three months of grinding and I just happened to kill all of them, which I also, I also think that, um, you know, I think we talked, I don't know if we were recording yet or not, but like, you know, we were saying like, we're big on lessons learned and, and a lesson that I've learned over the years is just being like on point in the red zone or whatever you want to call it. Like once you're in, once it, once you're in that, like I said, whatever you want to call it, red zone, like you're about to get that shot, whether it's six yards and he's feeding under the base of your tree, or if it's 70 yards in wind, you know, like in anything in between, you just have to be dialed and just kill you just have to make the kill you know and i think that's like i just remember when i was younger i would mess up shots miss shots and i would go black out and like we all get excited right like you know we all get super excited but that is a maybe not as much of a lesson learned this year because i feel like it that lesson was learned in previous seasons in life but this was a huge uh like re-solidification in my mind of, of how important that is. Cause like I said, three shot opportunities all season, you know how easy it is to mess up one, two or three of those and be sitting here saying, yeah, yeah. I had a tough season. Didn't shoot anything in Missouri this year, you know, um, like so close to that. So close to saying that, you know, that's why I just want to, I don't want to paint the picture of like daisies and rainbows. How I mean, tr don't get me wrong. It was amazing, but like, it was so close to being a buckless year, you know? And it's just that, that instinct to just make that kill when you're in the moment, you know, that's another big thing that I've keyed in on a lot over the years. Yeah. We talked about it earlier and, and same, but different, but the mental aspect of hunting is huge. It's hard to overstate how important it is from, from the determination side and like the focus side in the moment. So. Yeah, definitely. It's a, it's like the most difficult thing too, you know, like to have conscious control over yourself in those moments. And I'm, I'm not saying that I'm perfect because I, I, I get worked up. I mean, I, I love those moments. I get worked up, but 
Yeah, I think know? everybody that does it, that's what you do it for. It wouldn't right, be fun if, if you did Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But like I look at it, man, it's like all my shots this year were, were what I would deem fairly difficult shots. You know, like the mule deer, the mule deer was 70 yards crosswind. Um, and like I said, I got thrown off like a little bit at that very last second, but I felt like I executed a really good shot. You know, the early season whitetail, I planned this and like I was literally like people might bash this, but, you know, I, sh I shot that the whitetail at 65, but I was literally shooting out to 95, a well, lot further than that, over 100, two hours earlier at the range, you know, with oh, I had my target out there. And I knew it was going to be a far shot because the way it was set up. So I was just dropping bombs, dropping bombs, dropping bombs. And when he stepped out, there was no doubt in my mind. It's not. And that's the thing is like I've passed I've passed 35 yard shots where. No, like I don't I don't think. It just, you know, it's kind of a feel thing. You know, I've, I've passed 35 yard shots that didn't feel right. And then I've taken 65, 70 yard shots that when they stepped out, I knew they were dead. You know, and then like my eight point, the rut buck, it was unranged, you know, it was kind of, and I was like, I was like two or three yards off, but it was unranged and kind of a quick opportunity. Um, and I didn't make the greatest shot on that one. That's the only one I'm not, not that proud of. And then like the, the first rifle buck, like I said, that was a tough shot. The second right, the West Virginia buck was kind of a cake shot. Like I was prone on a bipod, you know, like it was kind of a cake shot, but uh, all the other ones, it was it was really like you don't have that that first of all like ability and just that instinct like they could go wrong, you know, really, really, really easy. So yeah, and you mentioned earlier for people that don't know, and and like said, maybe people will give you some hate. You did shoot competitive archery in college, and and you're shooting year round all the time, and I know you put a, a ton of work into your shooting, so. I think, uh, you know, we, we could have the ethics debate there on shooting and everybody's got their own opinion, but you're, you're as prepared as you can be for those shots is what I'm getting at. Right. And that's, you know, and I've had those, I've had those debates with close friends, people that don't know that well. And like, I'm not like a long range shooter usually, you know, I mean, until, until this season, I had never shot a whitetail buck over 26 yards. Oh wow! Ever like that was my furthest shot up until up until September of this year. It was 26 yards, and then it went to 65. Yeah. And then I actually hit him with a follow up at 70. But uh, you know, again, it was just like I've passed I've passed shots half that distance where maybe he was alert or it's pouring down rain and you got to put it through a tight. Shot. You know, I remember I passed on a buck one time in rain where I was almost positive I could kill him, but if something went wrong, you know, I don't know if I would find him. That's just, there's no point in doing it. So, you know, for me, I don't, I don't take a shot unless in my head, it's like, there's no way that deer can die from this arrow right now. And like, you know, like I said, I was literally shooting over a hundred yards, two hours prior and every day prior. And then, I knew that buck was going to be somewhere. Like I said, I knew the trail we were going to come out. I knew it was going to be between 50 and 70. Like I, that was, that was the closest I can get without getting busted. And I just was like, here's the deal. I'm either not going to shoot this deer. 
I'm either not going to shoot this deer from this far and I'm going to move in and have a very, very high probability of busting him, like 90% probability of busting him at a closer distance. Or I can read the situation, pass the shot if it's not right, but have the confidence to make the shot if the conditions are right. And the conditions were right. He came out, everything was perfect. It was one of those like, I don't know if you do this, but for me, I always have those conversations in my head. Like, what's like, what's your max range if, every, if everything's like absolutely perfect? And then you're like, well, how often is is everything actually absolutely perfect? But this Probably was one yeah. of those situations. Yeah, this was one of those situations where it's like level ground, good lighting, calm, some background noise, it's feeding. Like, I'm you know. Like I'm not twisting. I'm not. I'm perfectly square, like short footed, just you know, perfect. Now, yeah, there's obviously like he can move and stuff. He didn't move at all. He just ate the arrow. Um, I've had deer. I've missed deer thirty yards, sub thirty yards. I've missed deer that dodged my arrow. You know, it's like I don't know. It's just it's an interesting conversation. But uh, when I released the arrow, I knew the deer was dead. Oh, and that again, conf- confidence is huge. So, right. well, e- Ethan, we're uh, probably running up on time here, but I want to thank you for coming on again. Wanted to hear your stories firsthand. Had an amazing 2023 season, and I got a feeling we're going to be seeing a lot more of you here in the future. Yeah, hopefully, I've got some more stuff to post. I, you know, I'm I'm always so, hoping for a good next season. And, yeah, you set so. you set the bar pretty high. Yeah, the, after the last two seasons, you know, I feel like I'm due for one of those where it's like, yeah, I hunted 180 days and killed one doe. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I feel like I'm due for at this point. But I don't know. We'll see. Uh, you never know what the future holds. So I'm just excited to get back out there and uh, just keep hunting. That's what I love more than anything else. And then last thing before I cut you loose, is there anywhere you want to plug social media, YouTube, any of that stuff? Yeah, the only thing I have is just my Instagram page, and it's really nothing fancy. It's just kind of like a library of the animals that I shot, <laughs> basically. Uh, and my Instagram is just my name, Ethan Eskew, with an underscore in between is my username. Um, so, yeah, all the deer we talked about on here, they're posted on there. Deer from years past. And, uh, like I said, it's pretty much just a compilation of my life in the woods, so. Check out the pictures there, and that's about all I have out there. All right, man. Well, thanks again, and we'll catch you next time. Yep, I appreciate it, Jeremy. Thanks for having me on.